All right. Well, hey, good morning, Calvary Church. We are glad that everybody is here. Uh, we started a few weeks ago, and I know that at least one person has done it because she informed me when she came in. But uh, we kind of have this desire every Sunday to bring your Bible electronically or in hard copy, right? And grab a bulletin, grab a bulletin, bring your Bible, bring your Bible, grab your bulletin. Um, and if you haven't done that yet, and we we'll invite you to do it because there's a big old chart in the bulletin that you can either fill out or play hangman and tic-tac-toe with, whatever you choose to do. Uh, but if you grab the bulletin, you'll learn one thing if you look at the cover of it, that what we are striving to do here at Calvary Church is to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact others with God's love and truth. Build a body of disciples who personally and collectively reach and impact others with God's love and truth. And like we've been talking about for a few weeks, we had an amazing opportunity this week to do some of what our very vision to do. We had an amazing opportunity as a body to collectively try to reach and impact our community with God's love and truth. And we did that through this kind of summer camp deal that's God-focused that we do called Summer Spectacular. If you are here last week, you saw lots of people in amazing purple shirts, right? Over 100 of you collectively work together as a body to try to reach and impact kids in Trumbull, Shelton, Bridgeport, Monroe, keep going, wherever it is. And it was a great week, right? Hundreds and hundreds of kids were here. Hundreds of volunteers were here. Amazing stories from parents and from kids who have never been in an environment like this, who absolutely experienced the very thing we were praying they would experience, which was love and God's truth in a way that made them feel welcome and cared for and they heard truth. Um, and all of you who served and all of you who have prayed, just we together were able to serve God and be a sweet aroma and uh, reach our community. And so we're grateful for that. So some of you were there. Some are not here. They're at home in an ice bath because they were here all week, and they're sore, and they're tired, uh, and they're catching up on sleep. But for those of you who were not here, who didn't get a chance, we've got this little video just to celebrate uh, how we kind of pressed into our vision and how we were able to serve God this week. So check it out, and then we'll jump into our sermon. day. Oh yeah, you can clap. Every day I had an amazing team of our kids, right, singing that song because my little office is up there somewhere. That song makes me think like I'm on a Disney ride. 
I feel like I'm in a little boat going through Spark Studios, right? Uh, hey, thank you all who served, um, and maybe even some folks are here or checking us out online because of what you experienced this week. So we're just grateful. And we're also grateful that the way that we can personally and collectively reach and impact others hasn't ended because right now we got a team of folks who are in the Dominican Republic, and they have taken hundreds of supplies from many of you in our church to try to serve uh, kids and elementary students and, and young girls so they can continue their education. They're doing, they're doing their own uh, summer kind of spectacular VBS camp, and so we can continue to pray for them, and there's ways that we let you know about that last week and some bookmarks that may still be laying around the info table. Um, so a lot of exciting stuff going on, and so we're just grateful for the role that God has play, and the fruit is all up to him, but we're going to do our part and be obedient, and we want the fruit to be something that all of us experience. And so if you didn't have a chance this summer to serve, or if you're not serving yet as you press into Calvary Church and maybe put some roots down here, we'd love for you to use who you are and how God's wired you um, to help us as a body and to help our community. So uh, thanks for being here today. We're going to press into God's word. And like I do every week, I'm going to pray because there's ultimately, no matter who's wearing the little Taylor Swift wraparound mic, there's nothing up here that any of us on our own can do, right? It's God's word and the power of his spirit that whenever there's encouragement or challenge, <clears throat> um, that's what it comes from. And so we'll pray for God to work in our hearts this morning. Father, thank you for the way that you allowed us to serve you this past week and serve families and serve kids. And um, I pray that we were able to plant some seeds. And we now, in your sovereignty, we know that you will do your work with those seeds. And so we're grateful um, just for the opportunity to love our community and love the families around us and do that together as a group. And so I pray for those who served, <clears throat> that they will be encouraged, that they will know that what they did was meaningful and that they were doing a good work. I pray for our Dominican team right now uh, for safety, for logistics, for details, that they also will see fruit from what they're doing with these kids and these camps and the service projects that they'll be doing, that they'll just be fruit and be with them, Father. And as we open up your word again this week, uh, will you be with us? And in your sovereignty, you've brought every single one of us here, and you know what we need to hear. And so, like Emmanuel prayed, Father, through your spirit, uh, you tell us your word is like rain that waters the earth and causes growth. And so, will you cause that to happen with your word today as we think about this letter written a long time ago? Um, and thank you for what you're doing, Father, and thank you for your greatness and your goodness, and your kindness, and your love. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, we are today uh, finishing up a sermon series. If you're visiting or if you're checking us up uh, out online for the first time, what we do at Calvary Church is like you pretty much hear me say every Sunday. If you're here every Sunday, we open up a book of the Bible and we work through that paragraph through paragraph, many times verse by verse. In a few months, <clears throat> we're going to be going through the book of, uh, hold on, my wife told me I had to pick what I'm going to call it. I'm looking at it right now. Revelation. If I call it Revelations, <clears throat> throw a water bottle at me, okay? Uh, starting on September 11th, we're going to work through the book of Revelation, and that's going to take us a while, and it's not because I think the world is ending, although it could be ending. I do not know, but it's because it is a meaty book that is 
Many times churches steer away from studying and there's value in understanding it and pressing into it and wrapping our hands around it. And so we're going to do that coming up. And between now and then, we're going to be doing some standalone sermons looking at Jesus, his I am statements. And there'll be a rotating group of folks up here. Um, <clears throat> and I'll be up here some as well. And uh, I'll, when I'm not up here, I will be knee deep in the book of Revelation, thinking about trumpets and dragons and bowls of blood and flow charts. It'll be great. So uh, we're excited about that. But today we're finishing up a sermon series uh, in three little letters written by the Apostle John. And today we're going to be in 3 John. And last week we were in 2 John. And then about for four or five weeks we were in 1 John. And as we've walked through what one of Jesus' apostles wrote to Christians a long time ago, uh, as we've pulled some things from 1 John and 2 John in the weeks together, he- here's a few things that we've seen. In our weeks together, we've seen that as Christians, we have fellowship with God. Kind of his big idea, because these Christians were doubting, they didn't know if they were believing the right things, they didn't know if they had to do more, or work harder, or try harder, and he reminds them, hey, As Christians, we have fellowship with God, and then we saw some things that people in fellowship with God should avoid and some things that they should do. And what we've seen together is that people who are in fellowship with God should avoid sin. People in fellowship with God should avoid false teaching. And here's one thing that we saw we should do. People in fellowship with God should love others. Last week, we were in 2 John, and we spent a lot of time talking about truth. And I'm grateful that for many of you, um, you know, some of you were encouraged by that. And it was a meaningful time hearing from God what he had in that letter. But we saw that people in fellowship with God are united in truth, that truth is what unites us in a body, and people who are in fellowship with God must cling to truth. Today, what John's going to do as he ends these three letters... He's going to kind of say to us, okay, I've given you some points, I've given you some principles, but when you put that into real life, right, when, man, it hits the pavement, what does somebody who is doing these things look like? Like, what's a snapshot of what that person looks like? And on the flip side, what does a person who is not doing those things look like, right? If you're a visual learner, many times you can read a recipe. Many times you can read instructions about how to put something together. But all of those facts, once you actually see what it's supposed to look like, it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I get how I'm supposed to ice that cake. Man, I wish I could ice a cake. I don't know how you cake icers do it. Take that cool little thing and you're like, (laughs) roses. You could explain to me all day long how to do it, but just hearing it, but when I see somebody do it, when I see what it looks like, it's somebody times easier to get a hold of it. And so what John's going to do is he's going to end his conversation. And interestingly, John's next conversation is going to be the book of Revelation. He's going to get in some trouble. He's going to get... taken, and instead of going to jail, he's going to do house arrest on an island in isolation, and on that island, he's going to write the book of Revelation. But before he writes the book of Revelation, he writes this other letter, and he leaves his readers with this snapshot of what it looks like to be a person who does what they're supposed to do, and what it looks like to be a person who fails to do. And so we're going to be in Third John, we're going to look at the snapshots of some different people who are doing different things. And we're going to pull some observations. That's why you got the handy-dandy chart. We will pull some principles and then end with a challenge. So some observations just from the text. And we're going to identify a few principles and then end with a challenge. And let me say this. Um, 
what we're going to do together as a community as we read a letter that has 15 verses in the English is, like I said, we're going to pull some observations. And here's what I'd love for you to do, right? This, what we're doing today together, this is what I do many times when I'm just reading the Bible on my own. I just grab my notebook, I grab a pen, and I just observe. I just compare and I contrast. I see what somebody does, what somebody else does, what somebody else does, and then I kind of say, okay, what can I learn from this? And so in a weird sort of way for some of you who are maybe like, man, I want to study the Bible, but it's so intimidating. How do I do it? We're going to kind of, we're going to be beta testing for you what it actually, when you do Bible study methods, when you can study your Bible, just how you can do it. You can do what we're about to do here together as a community. So some observations, principles, a challenge. I'm going to read the text. 15 verses. You can leave here and you can tell your friends, man, I go to a church where on Sunday mornings they read entire books of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? We're about to read an entire book of the Bible. Oh, it's going to be spectacular. As I read this book, I don't want you just to zone out. If you've got your device, flip it open. If you've got your hard copy, flip it open. If you have neither or neither, you can grab some Bibles out on the info table, and I want you to listen to some things. I want you to listen to the people's names you hear, and then just try to grab one or two quick things about what those people are doing or aren't doing. What are the names we're going to hear, and what are some things those people are doing or aren't doing? And then there's going to be four different characters. Okay, so here we go. The elder, the elder is John, the apostle John, who's with Jesus, probably in his 80s, or maybe a little younger. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your effort for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them... On their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers with truth. I have written something to the church. Interestingly, they think that, many scholars think that there's another letter that John wrote that we don't have a copy of. That's being referenced here. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, if you want to name your cat something, you've now heard from the Lord. If you have a cat, you need to really hear more from the Lord. I, <laughs> bring on the emails, I don't care. Just trying to sanctify you. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk to face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Four different characters. I don't know if you caught them all, but there are. There are four different characters and so let's kind of set them out and know who the characters are, and then we'll start comparing them. The first character is mentioned in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius. Gaius was a common name in the New Testament. It's like John. 
It's like Smith, right? Tons of Gaiuses running around. Interestingly, in the New Testament, we see two other people named Gaius who are mentioned. Um, one in Acts 19:29, accompanied Paul on a mission trip. And then another was an early convert that you could read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, who Paul baptized. So there's some other Gaiuses. One jumped on a boat with Paul on his missionary journey. Another was a non-Christian that Paul baptized. We have no idea whether this Gaius is one of those Gaiuses or a different one or a different individual, but he's kind of the first person, and he's the recipient of this letter. Then... There's this second <clears throat> group of people who are uh, the people who are referred to in verse 5 and 7. Beloved, is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who have testified to your love, who have gone out. The second group of people are these traveling preachers. In 1 John and 2 John, we explained how some people didn't like the teaching of the church, and so they kind of split off. They thought it was wrong how they either themselves or they paid some people to go around to other churches to try to infiltrate with non-truth. Those were bad traveling preachers. The group being referenced here are good traveling preachers. They're evangelists. They're church planters. They go around from community to community, town to town, preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. Uh, they're the second group that's mentioned. Third group's mentioned is the name of your cat, this dude named Diotrephes, Diotrephes. It's the only New Testament reference to him. The only thing we know about this guy is from what's written in this letter. The only thing we know about this guy is what's written in this letter. And what's written in this letter isn't the best thing. It's the only thing we know, not the best thing. And there's a fourth person that we see in verse 12 that says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everybody. Uh, Demetrius doesn't really get a lot of mention here. We'll talk about him at the end. But really, in these 15 verses, there's three different characters that John's really honing in on that he's talking about. He's talking about these traveling preachers. He's talking about Gaius. And then he's talking about this dude named Diotrephes. Traveling preachers, Gaius, and Diotrephes. And so... Let's do a little Bible study methods. Let's do a little comparison contrasting. Let's do a little observation. What does he tell us? We're going to make these observations, and then we're going to draw some principles, okay? What does he tell us about each of these people and how he compares? Well, he's going to tell us what they're known for. And the first thing he's going to tell us is what these people loved, what these people <clears throat> loved. And you can go ahead and pop up the first row. Uh, it's a little small, but you can see it, right? We see what Gaius loves in 1 John 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Gaius, right here in the middle, man, he's a guy who loved truth. He's not the only guy who loved truth because these traveling preachers, these gospel got treat preachers, talking about Jesus, they were going around dedicating themselves to telling others about truth. Two people in the text, gospel preachers, Gaius, what they loved, and they loved truth. Everything that John talked about last week in his letter, they got. They loved truth. They clung to truth. They dedicated their life to truth. There's this third person in the text, Diotrephes, and he loved something. And we've heard what he loved, and he tells us what he loved. Verse 9, it says, I've written some of the church, but Diotrephes, 
who likes to put himself first. <clears throat> you know what Diotrephes loved? Diotrephes? Man, that dude loved himself. He loved himself. He loved his way, he loved his agenda, he loved his power, he loved his authority, he loved people saying what he wanted to say about him. He was all about me, 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 me. These other dudes were all about truth, 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 truth. And we see more about these people's attitudes and their hearts and what they've done. We read in the next row about the traveling preachers. <clears throat> Verse 7 and 8 tells us how... These guys have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And you can pop the next row as well if you want. Pop the whole full next row. What these gospel preachers love, man, they trusted God and they sacrificially spread God's love and truth, right? They trusted God and they sacrificially spread and taught the gospel. And as part of that, they were willing to take a risk and they were willing to suffer a cost. The text tells us they went out. You know what that means? Everything that they looked to for their security. Their houses, <clears throat> what they'd built up in their lives, right? Their jobs if they had them, their community, their relationships, their family, their network, their income. When they sensed God's call in their life, what these guys did, it said, man, I'm, I'm going to leave that behind. And I'm going to go out to where God leads me, to different communities, right? To no security, not really even sure where seven or eight months from the road I'm going to be, but I'm going to trust God and I'm going to go. And as part of that, it said in the text, they took nothing from the Gentiles. What it means is <clears throat> they went out and they trusted God. They didn't raise up a big like net worth. They're like, God, I'm willing to step out in faith and I'm willing to take a risk and there's going to be a cost because I'm going to be leaving some stuff behind and I'm not going to be knowing what I'm getting, but I trust you. I trust you. An important part, <clears throat> excuse me, of what made their story work is what Gaius did. What Gaius did in relation to them, we've read about what he's done, but it tells us in verse 5, his faithful things that he's done and his effort for these brothers, how they've done well to send them on their journey in that culture, like we talked about last week, if you were a Christian, if one of these good traveling preachers came to your house, you're like, bro, <clears throat> I got me an Airbnb in my living room. Come crash on my couch. Come stay as long as you want. I'll cook you some food. The, the custom was that you opened up your home to these traveling preachers and you showed hospitality, you showed care, you showed financial support, you met their needs. And when these traveling preachers who loved the truth and who had stepped out <clears throat> in faith to trust God and to to give things up, showed up at Gaius' front door. You know what he did? He welcomed them. And he loved others, and he sacrificially supported those who were spreading the truth. These guys took a risk, and this guy helped minimize the risk, and he was willing to help lower the cost of those who risked. These traveling preachers took on a risk, willing to suffer a cost. Gaius came along in their lives, and he was willing to help meet their needs and minimize the risk and minimize the costs what about our buddy Diotrephes? <clears throat> How does that guy line up on this chart? Well, verse 9, 10, he likes to put himself first. He does not acknowledge authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. 
And he also stops those who want to, and he puts them out of the church. Gaius, welcoming these guys, serving them. <clears throat> the Diotrephes, he selfishly refused to support the workers of God, and he actively opposed their work. Gaius is like, bro, come on in. Diotrephes is like, man, I don't want to support you. I don't want to help you. I'm about me. I don't want to give up anything for you. I don't want to suffer a cost for you. I don't want to give of myself to you because it's about me. And not only was he unwilling himself to help, but this dude went on a bullying campaign against anybody else in the church community who was willing to help meet their needs and lower the cost, right? He didn't want to risk anything, and he actually actively supported, uh, opposed the work that they're doing. Another row of comparisons that we see in terms of leadership. These guys exercised godly leadership. You can flip it. Gaius exercised godly leadership. Diotrephes opposed godly leadership. Exercised godly leadership. Submitted to godly leadership. Opposed godly leadership. Next list of comparisons. These guys, because of what all this was, they helped further the gospel spread. Gaius because of this support of their ministry, he helped further the story of Jesus. This dude opposed it, actively opposed the spread of the gospel, complained against it, verses 9 and 10. And then there's a couple more rows of comparisons, two more. You can flip the next one. We've heard about the gospel preachers, we've heard about Gaius, we've heard about Diotrephes, we've heard their attitudes, we've heard what they've done. It has been written down, right, what they were like. And what we see from this is the gospel preachers, they had the reputation that they'd earned. They'd earned the reputation of going out. They'd heard the reputation of trusting God and not trusting. That's what they did, and that's the reputation that they had. Gaius, he earned the reputation that he had. Diotrephes, he earned the reputation that he had, had the reputation that each of these guys earned. And then the final thing as we think about what John has told us on the inspiration of Scripture, man, this guy was commended by God, these traveling preachers. Gaius, commended by God. But Diotrephes, criticized by God. Criticized by God. Fifteen verses, four different people, three honed in on comparisons and contrasts between them, right? Just observing what the text tells us about what they did, what they didn't do, what we see about them. And so here's kind of some principles that we can draw from that. As we look at this, what, what do we kind of pull out of that? What, what do we see? What can we learn? Well, well, here's the first thing that we see. What you love... Here, go back real quick, if you don't mind, to the chart. Traveling preachers loved truth, loved truth, loved themselves. And this is what they then did because of that love. So here's the first principle. What you love impacts what you do. And what you do can reveal what you love. For every single one of us in the room today, what you love is driving what you do. And if you look at what you do, in a huge part, that's going to reveal what you love. We can all sit in here all day long and talking about, I love God, I love Jesus, I love my church, I love my neighbors, I love my family. Hey, that's great to say, 
but that doesn't really actually show us anything about you. It lets us hear what you say you love, but what you love impacts what you do, and so many times we need to look at what you do to reveal what we all really love. Christian, non-Christian, wherever you are on that spectrum, unsure where you're on the spectrum, what do you give lip service to loving? What do you say that you love? I love this, I love that, I value this, that's important to me. What do you say that you love? And then the next side of that to ask, what do your actions suggest that you love? What did the choices that you've made this past month, what is the way that you talked to your wife? What is the way you dealt with your kids? Kids, what is the way that you responded to your parents? What were you willing, if anything, to give up for God? What did you cling on to not going to God? What did you think over the past week? What choices have you made in the past three days? What choices? What choices have you made about your money? What choices have you made about relationships, about actions? Because that, that starts to drill into what you love. What we see from these three guys a long time ago is what you love impacts what you do, and what you do can reveal what you love, and we can fool each other all day long and twice on Sunday. Is that the saying? If it's not, I just made it up. Copyright, trademark, pending. We, we, can, we can fool each other all day long. I, I could be the biggest con man up here, right? You don't know what really goes on in my house. But I can't fool God. I can't fool my family. You can come in. Brother! Bless you. God, man, I've been praying for you. That's great. You can fool me all day long. But there is a sovereign God who knows everything, who loves us. But we can't fool him. We can't fool him. You can't. We see some more things from these observations, right? If, if, if we went around the room and Right? Who's, I don't know, not, who made good, right? There's, <laughs> there's no bad people, only people who make bad choices. Whatever, right? The Bible tells me we're all fallen to pray people. So there are bad people. We're all bad people at one point. If you went over this list and said, okay, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Good guy, bad guy. I like to think of good guys and bad guys, right? We, I think we'd say good guy, good guy, bad guy. Good guy, good guy, bad guy. And we would say good guy, bad guy, good guy, whatever, because of what they did, right? Because their reputation, because of their actions, we would say certain things about them that were linked to that. Here is what uh, the next principle we draw from this. The reputation that you have right now in many ways is often the reputation that you've earned. The reputation, what your family thinks about you, what your coworkers think about you, what the place that you get your pizza from when they forget that pepperoni on it thinks about you, what the person who mows your lawn thinks about, who maybe doesn't always weed whack around the tree that you wish they would, thinks of, ah, 
Conviction, Holy Spirit working over there. <clears throat> Thinks about you, right? The reputation that you have is the reputation that you've earned. It is. Because I and you have made a lifelong series of choices like those dudes. And those choices over time, it's like that river that goes through that canyon that over the years, it just shapes that rock, right? It molds that rock. That rock is fixed because of what has happened to it over the years, and we have all earned a certain reputation over the years. Now, let me make the disclaimer. Do some of us have a reputation that doesn't align with our heart? Of course, okay? But we're talking general principles. General principle, this is the reality. The reputation that you have is often the reputation that you have earned. So, if we were to send out a Google survey to four of the people who know you the best, what would they say? What would they say? And whatever they'd say is probably because you and I have acted in ways to earn what they would say about this. Now, I don't know what they would say about you. They might say, man, that person, I see him go to church every Sunday, and when I first wondered, I just wondered, is it all a show? But man, they have loved me well. They fed my dog when I went on vacation. They've mowed my lawn. One time I broke my hip, and so they shoveled the snow for me. They always say hello. Man, a lot of us in this room probably have, through God's grace, not perfect reputations, but, man, we've tried to live it out well, and we've done things. And, and you know what helps shape your reputation? When you mess up, saying sorry. Every single one of us mess up. Every single one of us have done things and interacted with people in ways that could give us a bad reputation. But when we scream at our landscaper because they didn't put the mulch where we wanted it, you know what we do when we go back and we say we're sorry? Man, that crafts a reputation. That causes that guy to say, man, dude was a hothead, but old boy came up and apologized. Like, who does that anymore? The reality is some of us wake up 40, 50 years down the road and certain people think certain things about us and we think, well, how did this happen? And it happened because for 40 or 50 years we've made certain actions and we've earned the reputation that we have. But if you have a reputation you don't want, listen, that doesn't mean you can't change it. If you have a reputation that right now you're like, gee, I don't really want to know what the five closest people to me might say about me. If you know what the five closest people might say about me, look, that, that principle is true. Again, do some of us have people think things about us that don't align with who we are? Of course they do. But by and large, that seems to be the truth. But that doesn't mean there's no hope. Because this is a book of hope and restoration and second chances and fresh starts about a prodigal son who comes running back expecting his father to want nothing to do with it. And the dude is on a hill with arms wide open waiting and watching for his son who for a season of months had a horrible reputation, party boy dude, to come running back home. That's God. This is not a story of our fate is fixed in a bad way. This is a story of we have an opportunity to change, and if we don't change, fates can be fixed in bad ways, but this is a book of redemption. That's the story. That's the story of the book of Revelation. 
of a God who makes all things new. So I don't know what your reputation is. I do know this. If you have a good reputation, listen to me. This is true. It can change like that. Like all of us. <clears throat> I, you know, whenever God says, Peter, your season of Calvary's up, right? You'll be like, man, that dude always would say the same things. But this is true. All of us are just one choice away, one really bad choice away from ruining whatever reputation we have. You see it all the time with pastors, celebrity pastors, Hillsong, Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, name the names. One choice, boom, decades of a reputation gone. We can lose it like that. But once we lose it, that doesn't mean that there's not redemption and hope and grace and second chances. We can, the reputation that you might have now is not the one that you have to die with. The goal is for us to have a God-honoring reputation and die with that, and we got to keep pressing on and depending on the Spirit for that. All right? If you, if you are 84 years or older, I don't know why I chose that, finish well. Finish well. If you are 77 years or older, man, you better take a look at the trajectory on which you are on and ask yourself, am I a trajectory on complacency and having no future impact, or am I on a trajectory to finish well? I have seen, being a pastor for however long I've been a pastor, some amazingly godly people in their 80s. It's like, man, I want to finish like that person. And I've seen some people in other churches who it's like, bro, why'd you get so, why did you not finish well? You missed an opportunity. Finish well. We want a godly reputation to, that be the reputation that we die with. And if you don't have the reputation now, you can change it. There's a hint of that in this text, right? I don't know how strong a hint. It's like when you walk into a kitchen and you're like, ooh, somebody's frying some garlic. I think I smell it, but maybe it was last night, right? Ooh, I want some garlic right now. Okay, right? There's a hint of a reputation that's changed. I don't know. But we, the one thing John does say about Demetrius in verse 12, what, what does he say about Demetrius? Demetrius has received a good testimony from everybody. What does it say? Demetrius has received what kind of testimony? Good testimony. There is a guy named Demetrius who is mentioned one other place in the Bible. There is a Demetrius who is mentioned in Acts 19.24. That Demetrius was a silversmith, and he had this idol-making business. And Paul, and interestingly, a guy named Gaius, same Gaius, I don't know, rolled into town. And when they started talking about the gospel, people were like, bro, I don't want no more of your idols. And Demetrius took a financial hit. And that Demetrius in Acts is like, this isn't fair. So he starts a riot. And he ends up, Paul and Gaius are like, bro, we got to catch us an Uber out of here because they're going to kill us. Demetrius was in this heart of this violent riot starting against the gospel, against Paul, against Gaius. There's a Demetrius now that Paul says, man, there's this guy named Demetrius who has received a good testimony. Is it the same Demetrius? Scholars don't know. Maybe it is. 
Maybe this is the story of someone who shifted their reputation, and the reputation that they earn in Acts is the reputation of opposed to the gospel, physically confronting the gospel, and the reputation now is a guy whose heart's been changed, who you receive a good report about, about a faithful follower of Jesus. Could be. But even if it's not, that doesn't mean that your and my reputation can't change. And we see one more thing from this text. And the one more thing we see from this text is this final principle, this final principle that says this. God sometimes calls us to give things up for his kingdom work, and God sometimes calls us to give to his kingdom work. God sometimes calls us to give things up for his kingdom work, and God sometimes calls us to give to his kingdom work. Traveling gospel preachers gave it up. That's what God called them to do, and so that's what they did. Gaius, Gaius stayed right where he was. Didn't hop around the country on mission trips, didn't plant churches, didn't walk away from his family or his neighborhood or his community, but what God called him to do was to give to the work of the gospel by serving and sacrificing and showing hospitality and meeting the needs. God sometimes calls us to give things up for his kingdom work, and God sometimes calls us to give to his kingdom work work, both of which are selfless sacrifices made because we trust a loving God more than we love ourselves. Both of which are selfless sacrifices because we trust a loving, sovereign God more than we love ourselves. More than we love our schedule our five-year plan, our 401k, our time, our deck, our pool, our minivan, whatever, whatever. So let's end with this challenge, and then we'll wrap our time thinking about how it applies. Seeing some observations about two people, you can do this at home in your own quiet times. We pulled some principles that are true from that. And then let's think about this this final challenge that John gives to Gaius, which God has inspired and preserved for you and for me. Beloved, verse 11, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Talking to Gaius, the intent was probably this would be read to the church, but been preserved for this church, for you and for me. And the challenge is, hey, Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. So so let's pop that chart back up there. Let's look at this chart. We've seen some good things. We've seen some bad things. And as you've taken a picture of it, as you've heard us walk through it, which of these people do you most closely align with? Which of these people do you most closely align with? Of all of these different decisions and actions to exercise godly leadership or to oppose godly leadership, to complain and to gossip, to not risk anything, to be willing to risk everything, to support those, right, to love truth, to love yourself. If you had to, like, put your bingo chip on one of those, right, which one would it land on? Which one would you say, you know what, man, I, I I kind of identify with that. Boom. 
Could be something good. Could be something bad. Of this list, if you had to put your little stamp, which one would you say, man, I really struggle in that area? I, I'm, old, I'm over here with old boy. I'm critical. I'm a gossip. Right? I, I, don't, I struggle with loving truth. Which one of these would you say, this one, yeah, I feel like God's helped me to do that well. This is I'm imitating something good. And which one did you say, well, there's something that I'm not imitating that's good. There's something that I'm doing that I want to improve on, and I'm not doing that. Well, which of the character traits do you most align with? Which of the character traits do you most struggle with? If we you got your little stamps on the chart. Now, if we asked your family member, hey, how would you put, rate your person? What would your, if you're married, what would your wife say about you? What would your husband say about you? Parents, what would your kids say about you? Kids, what would your parents say about you? What would our family members say is, man, that's something that that person's doing well, or man, that, that's a way that they're not imitating what is good. If we are to imitate good, and I'll call the worship team up here, we, we've seen two people, two groups who are doing good, right, that... that Paul is, t- I mean, John is telling Gaius, hey, Gaius, you keep imitating good. He's given Gaius as an example of good, and he's telling us through the ages to imitate good. These are two groups that show and reveal things that are good, and so the question is for you and for me this week. What could we do this week to take one step to maybe imitate one thing these guys are doing? This week, what is one way that we could take one step to get closer to imitating one thing those guys are going, is God asking you to trust him and be willing to give something up to follow him? Is God asking you to trust him to take a step of faith to support the gospel work? Is he asking you to give something up to give to something? He's asking you to meet a tangible need. That's what Gaius did. He saw a need of these dudes. He's like, bro, I'm going to meet it. I'm just going to give open hands and meet the need. Maybe for some of you, right, as you think about how can I imitate good or how can I not imitate evil, right, maybe the question is, well, what is this guy doing that we're doing, that we're in this bracket where we're imitating him and we need to stop imitating him? Imitate good. Do not imitate evil. Imitate good. Do not imitate evil. Do we need to get over here and quit complaining about godly leadership? Right now, I don't know anybody complaining about me, so I'm, not, I'm good, I guess. <laughs> That's so stupid because like 10% of you right now despise me. That's what studies show. <laughs> Isn't it great to have a job where you know at any given time 10% of you despise you? <clears throat> it's like local government officials, politicians, and pastors. <laughs> Maybe some of you. Your struggle is you're opposing godly leadership. Kids, kids, man, if your parents put down some boundaries and some structures and some expectations and you're doing everything you can to fight it, you're just rebelling, the very thing they tell you not to do is what to do and maybe you need to stop rebelling against your parents. Maybe you're imitating diatrophies because you're, you're just not obeying. You may think your parents are stupid, You can think whatever you want, but man, they're the godly leadership who are over you. Sometimes you got to submit. Diotrephes. He he 
when these, he opposed their work, when there were people in the church who were supporting the work of God, he tried to kick them out. He was a bully. Are you a bully? Are you a bully? Are you a Bible-carrying bully? And probably 10% of you are. Right? That's got to stop. I don't know if any of you are, but I, I just don't understand that. Christians who all smiley, man, your pages have more highlighting and you could like ring this thing out and make a highlighter out of it. But you're just such a bully. Do you need to stop being a bully? Do you need to stop gossiping and criticizing? Do you need to stop selfishly caring only about you? The question for you and I as we leave, as we sing this song that will affirm God's sovereignty, is we are not in control over our own lives. We are not sovereign over our own lives, right? God is the one who God gives. God is the one who takes it. We have a choice. Are we going to do what God tells us to do? Are we going to trust where God leads? Are we going to honor and obey how he tells us to act? Well, he's told us today how to act, and he said, hey, imitate what is good. Do not imitate what is evil. What are you going to choose to imitate the minute that you drive out of this parking lot? Let me pray. Father, uh, I pray for the Holy Spirit to work in my heart and to reveal to me areas in which I need to, dependent upon you, press into things that you would have me do and uh, walk away from imitating the things that Diotrephes did. And I'm grateful. We know that it's not about us trying harder on our own power. We know that you who began a good work in us, you will be faithful to complete us. You've given us a Holy Spirit. You have promised us that you're working to sanctify us. And so I pray that this morning, Father, as we've heard this last piece from John from this letter about people who followed you faithfully and people who didn't, that you will challenge us, encourage us, shape us, and continue to smooth us into people who represent Jesus. Father, I pray that in that process, as we're about to sing, we will trust you. For every season of our life, every blessing that you give, everything that is hard, we will know that as part of what you're doing and using to make us more like Jesus. So help our faith Help our sanctifications, help our hearts, help us to be more like Jesus today because of this word. Amen.